So welcome. I feel uh, quite fortunate to be in this room with you. And the room means a lot to me, to many of you, to many people. And uh, was reflecting on uh, just like how little has happened in this room and how much has happened, yeah. And um, that's kind of magical in itself, but even wilder is the fact that it's not like IMS imports in the human condition. This is actually what it's like to be human. And we're just slowing down enough to see what it's like. And um, maybe, it may be that the only way we stay on this path is when we're convinced that we can't, uh, can't escape it, you know. So last night, uh, Aaron spoke about um, this journey, this path of um, uh, suffering and uh, the peace of of our our heart's deepest aspiration of letting go, letting be, this kind of uh, journey. And... uh, Tonight, I wanted to reflect on um, one of the ways we get caught, how we get caught, that it is, it is possible to, um, to live a life deeply caught in time. So sometimes it feels like we have too much time. We call that boredom. Think of the 2.15 walking period. And you look at the watch and it's 2.26. And there's no way it's been 11 minutes. And in our lives, Sometimes uh, we kind of live as if to warp zone through time, to kill time. And it's possible uh, really to, um, to kill a whole lifetime of time. And then sometimes we have too much, uh, too little time, yeah? Too little we are compressed, we're stressed, we're pressured, the, the busyness of our lives, think the efforts to get here, the commute, arranging conditions, we're claustrophobic, not enough time. And sometimes as we, as we approach death or as we lose someone, 
we love, it's like we, we can't believe that we've, we've run out of time. So this is the theme. We're, we're told, I think there's even a t-shirt that says, be present, right? But what, what does that mean? What, what exactly does that mean to be present? Like is, um, is the present a kind of slice of time that fits between the past and the future? And if it is that, how, how long is now? And what would it mean to be somewhere other than the present? Is this just a metaphor? What, what does it mean to be present? Usually we, um, by be present, what, what people mean is something like non-identification with thought. Yeah. To be present is not to be identified with thought, not to be lost in the discursive bubble of thinking. But um, that's not all that's meant by be present. I, I remember watching Thich Nhat Hanh move. It was like his body was my cue. Seeing him move f- f- to and from the dais or in the streets and peace walks or the monastery. And um, there's something conveyed in his, um, his body, yeah, by his movement that had a kind of uh, force field to it. And I would reflect on what he, uh, what he said using his, his ecumenical language, bridging, bridging between different traditions. So he would say, um, the kingdom of God is available to you in the here and now. But the question is whether you are available to the kingdom. Our practice is to make ourselves ready for the kingdom so that it can manifest in the here and now. You don't need to die in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, you have to be truly alive. That phrase, to make ourselves available, available to the kingdom. That's a very different approach than maybe our default, which is to kind of squeeze ourselves into something, like fit our mind into the present, to engineer something. And what a different sense it is to make oneself available, available. And so um, 
in this journey into the present, um, the pathway is through our past and our future. The, the pathway is a very deep encounter with our past and our future. And in our, in our practice, we, uh, I would say, honor and transform our sense of memory and our sense of the future not by solving some riddle or equation, but by actually exposing our heart to all of it here, now. And so we navigate, um, we navigate memory and the story of me we navigate the relentless pressure to predict the next moment. Yeah. That kind of ongoing model we have, sometimes it's so pervasive that we don't even notice it, but this ongoing model we have of self and world. Yeah, moment by moment. This is a path of purification, a path of purification. And part of how we open, we make ourselves available to the kingdom is we purify the stickiness of memory and the trepidation of the future. So life is, um, it's a little bit like um, a meal that's too big to finish. You know, it's just like a little too much being human. And sometimes it's fine, we hit a kind of cruising altitude or something. But at the moment to moment level, it's like, a little bit overwhelming being human, being bombarded by the senses, being vulnerable to the, the, the tides of pleasure and pain of change. And so we take our posture and in a way, one of the first realizations is like, oh, there's actually a lot that is undigested. The, the meal of life that's been a little too much. And maybe this is your first retreat after, maybe it's your first retreat, maybe it's your first retreat back after two years of the pandemic and of everything. And there's a kind of backlog of intensities that need to be met. We see the scale of, um, of suffering in the world and that 
that leaves marks on us. We're going to feel that. And there are going to be memories and traces and lingering energies that are kind of cycling through our system. They manifest as uh, fatigue or agitation or something. But something's happening there. We're actually encountering our life. We're encountering our past. We're sensing karma. And so we don't talk so much about memory, but um, in an important sense, what is the present other than the culmination of everything that is the past? Like we are at this razor's edge of everything that's been so. There's an account of um, Second World War, Elie Wiesel uh, said, um, in the end, it is all about memory, its sources and its magnitude and of course, its consequences. So what I want to suggest is that practice is a way of, um, a way of blessing our past with awareness and love. And this doesn't mean we have to go um, looking. This is an organic process by which things in their own time just emerge. What's undigested we uh, becomes present. You know, when life is... Um, is too much, when it's too much, it, it kind of leaves a trace of some kind and the past in a way becomes electrified, sharp-edged. And um, when there's something that is, that is undigested, it keeps calling for our attention. It becomes a certain kind of memory yeah, that has that kind of, a certain kind of stickiness to it. And maybe the memory feels kind of hot to the touch, or maybe it feels like uh, to sense into it just spins us, or it just feels like um, this magnetic field or something. And for some years in my practice, without knowing it, without consciously doing it, there was something like a life review happening. So I would not sit down and reflect actively on my past, but there's just this kind of organic way in which uh, memory, the memory, the traces of our past that are incomplete return. 
And it is a lot about ways we've harmed, ways we've been harmed. It is a lot about the memory that was too much to actually metabolize in the moment and it overrode yeah, the, the process of digesting. But interestingly, um, memories are not so much, uh, so much accessed as constructed. And um, somebody said, like, forgiveness is giving up hope for a better past. Uh, But in one sense, the past is static. In another sense, it is living. And the truth is, we often remember from a deluded view. Yeah, it's like memory gets established in some ways, uh, you know, etched into our hearts at the level of understanding we had then. And so we're, we're like remembering, but we're remembering from a pr- perspective that was not full of Dhamma. And so in our path of practice, we are, we're blessing, we are blessing the path with the Dhamma eye. Yeah, and so this memory, this energy, this habit, this sharp edge, it's like, ah, okay, all of that has its place in the heart. All of that can be blessed, yeah, by wisdom and love. And so we come to um, have a a kind of sense of re-experiencing our life in light of the Dharma. And it becomes less of a story about uh, good and evil and right and wrong and instead honors the, the most fundamental distinction of the Buddhist path, namely suffering, the freedom from suffering. Our very sense of... Um, of self is um, bound up in memory. In one way, our, our identity, in some ways, is like the sum of our memories. And early in practice, you know, just in the wildness of this Dharma path and just kind of um, just open, trying to open to my life. Like, you know, I, I didn't go looking for the path, actually. It sort of, I sort of stumbled into it accidentally. And, um, 
And in the wildness of that early encounter, part of what started to happen was my autobiography became uh, totally unconvincing. Yeah. We seem like we're the expert on it. Yeah. But that story is written from a view. Yeah. That story is written from a view. And the Buddha said, we must purify our view. We must see with the Dhamma eye. And so we write and rewrite the autobiography, the the story of me. We rewrite this in light of Dharma. That's a different story. Those are different meanings. In a way, we we bless all of our former selves with with dharma. We forgive them all. Forgive them all. And this rewriting is not, it's not something we have to think about all the time. It just is part of the process of um, this very, yeah, kind of alchemical process of digesting our life, cooking our life, one Zen teacher said. And um, when we're sort of being, you know, we feel the kind of the pull of a certain memory that triggers a certain kind of pattern of thinking, feeling. We feel the pull of a, of a habit that's so familiar and causes suffering just to stay, just to stay in your seat, just to stay with this spoonful of food, just to stay with the next step. That is beginning the path of transformation, beginning the path of smoothing out the sharp edges of our, of our past. And as, as the kind of the shards of memory start to, to gather up in the Dharma heart, we, um, Uh, we feel more whole. We feel more whole. We feel a sense of um, kind of integration. And there's a sense of like, can't be, uh, be ambushed by memory in the same way. And over time, what happens in the course of practice is we develop a kind of higher baseline level of awareness and love as we live. And so we actually come to sort of digest on the fly more and more efficiently. 
there's less and less of a trace, yeah? It's like, wow, that happened. My heart was impacted. It was like totally, just radically open to it. And in that openness, it leaves no trace. Life leaves no trace. It's in the realm of, you know, the stickiness and resistance and the egoic titillation that feels like too much that leaves a kind of a trail and it comes back and we bless it with wisdom and love. Now, as we practice, um, we see we're often interested in the past less for its own sake than for what it means about our future. In other words, we're, we're searching for keys from the past to engineer our future. So some of why we remember is because, ah, that hurt. Maybe that hurt a lot. And the movement back into memory is an attempt in part to to heal that, but maybe more focally to just learn something that can protect us and insulate us from threat, from pain, from loss in the future. And so our past gets tied deeply to our future. We sit down, we're invited to pay attention to our body breathing and the the future has a like a kind of pull like a black hole you know the next breath the next meal the next day the next insight the next retreat the next and sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's this subtle energetic leaning forward we're compulsively simulating future worlds, making predictions, strategizing to arrange life just so. And I wanna appreciate just the innocence and and the value, the utility of that habit as deep as it runs. We are, after all, we don't just like come from animals. We, we are animals. And as animals amidst unimaginably vast forces of physics, 
we're so, so vulnerable. And so we have had to navigate that as a species. And the priority in, uh, in virtually all moments is ensuring that there are more moments to come. Yeah. Safety, safety is always about the future, which means that safety is always about prediction. I said our our brain is a prediction machine. Yeah, less less res- just passively responding to phenomena, and more uh, plotting out our path into the future. Our survival. And so we're always making sure the next moment is going to be okay. We're not waiting for anything to happen. And this means that we're compulsively generating uh, hypotheses, guesses about what's going to happen next. What's the trajectory of this moment? Is this okay? Is this pain okay? Is this heartache okay? Is this draft that feels too cold or this heat that feels too hot? Is this okay? Is this retreat okay? Is my life okay? Is my practice okay? Am I on a a trajectory? And in this... um, this effort to kind of model the next moment, we're trying never to be startled. Yeah. We're trying never to be startled by what comes next. And so there's a certain kind of vigilance in all of this. You can feel this just in any given sit. Now, on what are our simulations, our models, our guesses, our hypotheses, on what are those based but the past? Maybe we say karma. This is what we base the guesses on. So this is... um, Donna Addis and uh, one of her colleagues, uh, brain scientists, so saying um, neuroimaging's provided evidence to suggest that imagining the future relies on much of the same neural machinery as remembering the past. One hypothesis is that memories must be reactivated in order to extract the information needed to flesh out detailed simulations of the future.
we use our history to predict our future. And in this way, we tie ourselves deeply to what was and what will be. And um, all of this prediction means that we have to think a lot. We have to think a lot, kind of compulsively making meaning. What is this? What is that? What is this for me? Where is this going? We have to uh, compulsively stay oriented to space and time, to self. This is where I end and the world begins. And we're, we're like actually subtly imaging it so much of the time, imaging the outline of our body, imaging the room, imaging others, the origins of sounds of, right? And all, all of it, all of it, a certain kind of, um, of vigilance And we keep, you know, pinging to the, to, the, to the tower of me. The kind of sense of the center of my being or, or some, something like that, where there's like, uh, we keep checking in, you know, keep reiterating the sense of self keep interpreting phenomena in light through the prism of self. We keep pinging to the tower of desire. And so we, we live in a way, in a state of vigilance where the present moment is just like a canary in the coal mine of the future. Just this moment is merely a down payment on some, on a promise of our future existence. Something in us longs to put all of this down longs to put all of this down. And the genius of the Buddha was to sum it up like this. Bhavatanha. Bhavatanha. The craving to become. His disciple, sorry, Putta said, Nibbana is the cessation of becoming. Nibbana is the cessation of becoming. That the, the momentum of prediction and meaning making and orientation pinging to the tower of self 
sandwiching ourselves between past and future, all of that can dissolve. We're no longer relentlessly building models of self and world. Peace doesn't have any impulse to build. Fear does. And it's usually said that ignorance is kind of the root of all dukkha. That's the wellspring. But for my money, I, I, it feels more like um, fear, actually. And amidst fearlessness, there's no need to build anything, to model self or time, past or future. And so we fall into the present. We fall into the present. And um, even the very, like, quote, stubborn predictions of my body, my body, it's right here. We close our eyes and for a long time, it's like still there. And then as we stop reiterating our sense of self, it starts to become more porous. Everything starts to become more porous, more transparent, more like wind. To do this, we must release the vigilance in some way. And we do this um, in many ways. This is why we begin with the precepts to know that um, we're held in the spirit of care, of safety, that we, uh, we do not need to be afraid of each other we create some sense of containment, of refuge, entrusting our heart to this lineage of wisdom and compassion. It starts to feel a little safer. This is why we emphasize a sense of belonging, all of your experience, all of your identity, is welcome. The, the Dharma belongs equally to each of us. This is why we bless our past with wisdom and love so that the sharp edges of memory cannot ambush us in the same way. This is why we practice deep, loving, acceptance of all our limitations and foibles and 
uh, over time, over time, our inner life starts to feel more and more safe. The, the three characteristics of dukkha, nicca, anatta, unsatisfactoriness, impermanence, unreliability, not self, these core Buddhist teachings, which you'll hear more about, they, all of those teachings move us like directly against the tide of becoming Pleasure cannot end your seeking. Don't try. The world will never stay still. If we're going to be happy, it will be amidst Anicca, not despite it. So we don't build a house on sand. And you can never take refuge in self-view. You never become the person you think you are. You can never land in an identity. So we don't try. the tides of becoming get weaker. And all of this helps us surrender, surrender the future, surrender the future. Retreat is in this sense, a playground, a playground where in a field of mutual care, a spirit of non-harming, of restraint, we can practice surrendering the future. The, The present is, if we were to say anything of it, maybe I'd say it's bottomless. It's bottomless. And it does not feel like it precedes the future and follows the past. But there is peace. There is peace. And then in the next moment, we're reborn into time and narrative and orientation and the sense of, of being confined in time, the drama of becoming, all of that becomes so poignant and beautiful, heartbreaking, worthy of love, worthy of love. So the the journey into uh, 
into pre- the present is through the the highways and byways of of our past and our future and um, blessing all of that in the open heart is what makes us uh, available, available to the present, available to the kingdom. Be quiet for a moment. So thank you. It's nice to um, to be with you in this way. Uh, please, um, as always, with with um, uh, the this path is is offered without strings attached, which means uh, you you get to determine what is of value of use for you. And please. Um, Pick that up and explore and and leave all the rest behind. Okay, thank you.